and welcome to episode 2 of the Science of Everything podcast. I'm your host, James Fodor. In this podcast, I discuss a wide variety of topics in both the natural and social sciences, exploring the many fascinating insights that the scientific method yields about the world around us. The topic for this episode today is organic agriculture. And just as a very brief introduction, organic agriculture is basically the idea of producing food without the use of artificial pesticides and fertilizers and other such things. But I'll, I'll give a bit more of an introduction later on. Okay, so in this episode, um, I want to talk about, first of all, what is organic agriculture, give a bit of a background to the history, um, the core concepts of it, and the sort of size of the industry, and, uh, and the outlook for the industry today. And then I want to move on to look at um, some of the core claims of organic agriculture, the arguments for why it should be adopted. The, the, the main ones are that it's good for the environment and that organic food is of a higher quality, um, nutritionally in, in terms of taste and other things. And then I also want to look at the efficiency of uh, organic agriculture in comparison to conventional farming in terms of yields and costs and other such things. Okay, so first we'll start with what is organic agriculture? Um, and before I get into that, I just want to make a note on the sources that I've used uh, for this podcast, and you can find the uh, complete list in the show notes. Um, I've tried to stay away from any uh, publications or websites that were overtly pro-organic agriculture. You know, if they said something to the effect of our mission is to promote the adoption of ag- organic agriculture, etc. Um, I didn't consider that to be a sufficiently non-biased source um, to be credible. I stuck mainly with uh, government reports and journal articles and other sources that I found to be reliable. Okay, so first of all, we'll start with the historical background of uh, to organic agriculture. Now, the term organic farming was first used by the UK agriculturalist um, Lord Northbourne in his 1940 book, Look to the Land. And another important work uh, of the organic movement was called An Agricultural Testament, which was written by Sir Albert Howard, um, who was an agricultural advisor in British India, um, and he published his book around the same time as well, the early 1940s. Both of these works made fairly similar arguments about the need to treat the farm as an, uh, an organism, in a sense, and utilising the interdependencies found in natural ecosystems as a guide for how to construct a, a farm. Now, interestingly, the main focus of the organic movement today is about artificial pesticides and fertilizers being um, bad for human health and also uh, having a negative impact because of runoff into rivers and other things like that. Uh, But at the time, um, Northbourne and Albert Howard were mainly concerned about artificial pesticides and fertilizers because they considered their use to be unsustainable in the sense that it was sort of adding something external to to the farm um, rather than building a self-sufficient, self-contained system like natural, natural ecosystems did. So, yeah, the concern of the, the sort of founders of this movement was somewhat different to the concern of those uh, many agricultural proponents today, which is, which is I think, uh, somewhat interesting. Later books built upon these pioneering works um, and included such things as Silent Spring by Rachel Carson that was published in 1962, which was about the effects of DDT and other toxins on, on birds and wildlife, and The One Straw Revolution by and uh, someone whose name I can't pronounce, Fukaoku or something like that. In 1975, these ideas about the problems of artificial pesticides and the need for a holistic, naturalistic approach to agriculture all sort of 
uh, got tacked on to the environmentalist movement which grew up over the course of the 1970s and 1980s um, and got all sort of got mixed up with that and it all became came into the mainstream around the 1990s which is uh, when we see the takeoff of the uh, organic food as a significant industry um, uh, and since then it's been growing very rapidly okay now, I just want to make a brief note on the anti-scientific attitudes of the original pioneers of the organic movement, particularly Northbourne and Albert Howard. I had a brief look at some of their at parts of their um, original writings and was quite, well, disturbed at their attitudes towards science. I'll just read you a few brief quotes and you can sort of make up your own mind. Uh, Northbourne said, and this is a quote from his book, and you, you can see the full reference on the on the on the show notes, uh, quote, food of better quality is food which has vitality, individuality, freshness. And then later on in his book, he admits that vitality is not a very, sci- oh, sorry, is a very unscientific term, end quote. Another one, quote, we have to live our lives in practice and uh, can very rarely wait for scientific verification of our hypotheses. If we did, we should all soon be dead, for complete scientific verification is hardly ever possible. It is a regrettable fact that a demand for scientific proof is a weapon often used to delay the development of an idea. End quote. And Albert Howard also speaks very favorably of the agricultural methods used in uh, 1940s, which is the time he wrote, uh, India and China. Um, even though such methods were responsible for the fact that hundreds of millions of people in those countries were living in dire poverty at the time, and in fact still are. <laughs> I find that rather disturbing, that you know he was sort of advocating these agricultural methods, even though they quite obviously were not producing, or were not responsible for the prosperity of the uh, of the modern world and industrial technology and so on. But anyway, that's just a bit of a side note that you, you can see that the basic point I wanted to make it with that is that the original proponents of organic agriculture did not base their conclusions on um, really good science. I mean, they did have some you know scientific background and, and they made some uh, arguments related to that, but it was primarily an ideological thing about, you know, they just felt that a sort of self-contained farming system based on more traditional methods was better for various reasons. Um, and I just wanted to make that point. It's important to understand the background behind the agriculture, uh, the organic movement. Okay, now, the basic concepts of um, organic agriculture. Uh, this is a quote from an article. Quote, A fundamental principle in organic farming is to minimize its environmental impact as much as possible while sustaining the farming system. End quote. Uh, according to the National Organic Standards Board, organic agriculture is, quote, an ecological production management system that promotes and enhances biodiversity, biological cycles, and biological soil activity. It is based on minimal use of off-farm inputs and on management practices that restore, maintain, and enhance ecological harmony, end quote. Um, so that sounds like a whole bunch of technobabble, but basically the idea is making the, f- the organic farm as self-sufficient as reasonably possible, that instead of basing the fertility of the, the soil on um, input of, on use of fertilizers, artificial fertilizers, um, this is achieved through, uh, through other methods, which I'll talk about a bit more later, but particularly uh, application of manure. Another important um, idea is the maintenance of soil fertility, 
and the quality of the soil, you know, keeping um, earthworms and other things in the soil, making sure it's of a high quality, rather than just providing the nutrients needed for the plants. It's a, there's a focus on the quality of the soil in and of itself, and just generally trying to minimize the environmental impact of the farm. And recently, organic agriculture has been steadily acquiring sort of new territory and concerns, um, including the whole movement of um, buy local, you know, local agriculture, uh, the idea of carbon footprint, animal rights, fair labor laws, etc. But still, the fundamental core of organic agriculture has been, and still is, um, opposition to artificial fertilizers, herbicides, and pesticides. That's that's the core element. And then there are these sort of other things that are tacked on. Oppos- opposition to genetic engineering is also another thing that generally goes along with organic agriculture, but I'm not going to talk about that in this podcast because genetically modified uh, food is an Uh, I think, deserving of a separate podcast all to itself. Okay, so what methods uh, of production do organic farms use? You know, if they don't use too many pesticides um, or herbicides or artificial fertilizers, how do they uh, keep their farm working? Well, weeds are indeed one of the biggest problems in organic agriculture, but there are a, a wide variety of methods that they use to deal with these. And these include mechanical cultivation, um, just weeding by hand or through machinery, um, crop rotation, which is you know moving crops around from season to season um, so that they're not always growing in the same place, uh, cover crops, water management, pre-germination of weeds, and uh, buried drip irrigation, and a wide variety of other methods. From what I could tell, cover crops and mechanical cultivation and crop rotation are the three big ones that are used to, to keep weeds under control. I should say that cover crops are basically where you plant an additional crop sort of over or uh, mixed amongst the main crop, and that helps to, it also helps to prevent erosion, Um, but I'll talk a bit, uh, I'll talk about that a bit more later, but it, you know, by sort of taking up space and and, uh, some of the excess nutrients, it, um, you know, prevents weeds from coming in and uh, and, uh, competing with the, the main crop. Uh, cover crops usually, though, are not edible in and of themselves, so they do sort of detract from the main sort of resources of the farm. You know, you have to buy the seeds for them and plant them and, and so on, so that's why they're not used so much in conventional agriculture, because there are costs to doing so. U.S. regulations require that organic foods be grown without synthetic pesticides, without growth hormones. You also can't use antibiotics or, or anything that's genetically engineered. Chemical fertilizers and sewage sludge are also banned. Now, animals, to be certified as organic meat, uh, they they must consume only 100% organic feed, and they cannot receive antibiotics or vaccinations, which I find particularly bizarre, but I'll talk a bit more about that later. Okay, and there are also, in the UK at least, and I should say that the... um, the standards for what can be certified as organic differ from country to country, but they're generally fairly similar. In the UK, there are a whole bunch of requirements as to that the animals um, must have, you know, access to a certain amount of free space and a certain amount of uh, a certain size uh, areas to live in, and so on. And uh, I've got those in more detail in the show notes, but I just wanted to make the point that there are a, an extensive number of requirements. Uh, to be certified organic, both in the inputs you use, in the methods you use, and how the animals are treated, etc. Okay, so a bit on the size of the industry. As of 2003, about 2% of food sales in the US and Europe were of organic foods. Um, but the size of the industry is growing very rapidly, about 15 to 20% per year. That's much more rapidly than the food industry as a whole. So uh, organic foods are becoming increasingly popular in the West. Uh, total land under organic cultivation varies wildly, 
uh, throughout the world, the levels are generally much lower in the developing than in the developed world, which is perhaps not surprising, um, and they're higher in Western Europe than anywhere else. Um, to give a few sort of benchmark figures, Switzerland and Austria have around the highest levels in the world, about 10% of land area, organic. UK and Germany are pretty high, they're both around 4%. Australia is about 2.3%. France and Spain, sort of more typical for some of the other European countries, are about 1.5%. The US is quite low, only about 0.2%. And um, China and India are very low, well, well below 1%. Um, and they're sort of representative of the, of the third world. There's generally not too much organic in the third world. Now, initially, organic food production focused mainly around small farms, locally sold produce, etc. Today, uh, organic food has become a big industry um, with you know growth of 15 to 20% per year. And so increase, there's an increasing trend towards large-scale organic producers. Just, you, know, you have corporate farms based on conventional technologies. You're increasingly seeing corporate farms based on organic technology because it's big business, very profitable. Um, for example, in California in the late 1990s, over half of the organic f- food produce came from only about 2% of the organic farms, which obviously means that these 2% are very big farms and commercially run farms. Okay, so that's a bit of an outline to uh, organic agriculture, the history, um, and the current state of the industry. So next we're going to move on to the topic of, is organic agriculture good for the environment? Which is probably the main claim made for organic agriculture that it's good for the environment. Now, there are several topics that I want to look at um, that are generally argued to be the main benefits of organic agriculture for the environment. First, there's the issue of pesticides. Organic agriculture um, doesn't use pesticides, uh, artificial pesticides, and that's argued to be a benefit. So we've got pesticides, nitrate runoff uh, and pollution, energy usage, biodiversity, and erosion. So they're kind of the big five. And so I'll I'll look at those in turn and then have an overall examination of the uh, environmental impact of organic agriculture. So pesticides. One big problem with pesticides is is not so much their residues on the food, but actually just um, farm workers who are directly exposed to pesticides can contract a wide variety of illnesses as a result. According to the World Health Organization, in 1992, about 3 million pesticide poisonings occur annually worldwide and result in about 220,000 deaths. So that's quite significant. But aside from those uh, direct, uh, direct harmful consequences, there's also the issue of pesticides affecting the wider population. The main methods through which pesticides, which include herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides, um, they're all sort of grouped under the broad category of pesticides, the main ways they end up in the environment are through aerial drift, so you know you uh, spread fertilizer through by dropping it from planes or whatever, um, and it's blown away by the wind, evaporation, surface runoff, and leaching into groundwater. Um, so surface runoff is, you know, you drop it on the surface and it uh, runs off as a result of, you know, uh, dissolving in rainwater and runs off on the surface, leaching into groundwater is pretty much the same thing except that it dissolves into the water once it's already underground and then flows th- uh, underground through the groundwater. Now, the U.S. National Water Quality Assessment Program reported that more than 95% of streams and nearly 50% of shallow wells uh, were found to contain agricultural pesticides. Organic agriculture also suffers from this problem of pesticide runoff. However, um, 
only about 10% of organic farms use pesticides on a regular basis, so it's a much smaller problem for organic farms. Now, I should uh, clarify that organic farms are allowed to use some pesticides, but only quote-unquote natural ones, and there's a, a list of ones that they're allowed to use which basically are just the non-artificial ones. Now, just because something's artificial, or just because something's natural doesn't mean it's safe, obviously. For example, arsenic is natural. Well, you know, there are a wide variety of drugs that are artificially made, which are, you know, good for us. So the fact that a pesticide is natural really is largely meaningless, except that organic farmers are allowed to use them. But more, more to the point is that most organic farmers don't use any pesticides at all, or only very small amounts. So that's why pesticide runoff is a much smaller uh, risk of, for organic compared to conventional farms. Um, in one study, of the four pe- of the four herbicides applied to a conventional plot of, uh, of land, um, one of the herbicides had no current EPA maximum contaminant level set. Two were not detected at all in the water, and one was detected in the in the surrounding water. Um, mostly below the maximum contaminant level of the EPA, but sometimes peaking above the maximum contaminant level. And so that begs the question, what is a maximum contaminant level? Well, the important thing to realize is that just because pesticides are found in most streams and and wells, as I mentioned before, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're harmful, uh, because pretty much everything in uh, any chemical or any substance is only harmful once a certain threshold is reached. And in fact, Generally, it's there's a dosage-dependent uh, response, so that the more of it you have, the more harmful it is. And in fact, for some things, you have a little bit of it, and it's beneficial, but then if you have too much, it becomes harmful. That uh, that really applies to pretty much anything you can think of, even water that applies to. If you drink enough water, eventually you'll drown yourself. So there's, there's really no such thing as a poison. One of the quotes that I read when I was uh, researching for this podcast is that everything is a poison. It's just dependent on how much you have. So if you have too much of anything, it can kill you. Conversely, sufficiently small doses of pretty much anything can be harmless. So just because pesticides are found in water doesn't really necessarily mean that they're, that's a, uh, a bad thing, that that's harmful, that we have to worry about that. It's all about how much it is. And so the EPA has set maximum contaminant levels for a whole bunch of different pesticides um, so that determinations can be made about whether or not it's harmful. And generally, of the the study I mentioned before, 95% of streams have pesticides in them. Most of those are below the EPA thresholds uh, for health. So, the conclusion is that um, organic farms do produce you know, hardly any pesticide pesticides compared to um, conventional farms, but pesticide runoff probably isn't that big of a deal even for uh, conventional farms. But I will talk a bit more about that later um, in the uh, section about organic foods being of higher quality. So now I move on to nitrate pollution. Nitrate leaching refers to the phenomenon whereby nitrates in agricultural soils become dissolved in rainwater and are then carried down through the groundwater, collecting in nearby lakes and rivers. And this can have a this can have potentially negative impacts uh, for human health and can also lead to eutrophication. Eutrophication is a process where, um, whereby a buildup of organic nutrients in rivers, wetlands, and lakes um, leads to a population explosion of algae and other photosynthesizing organisms. Now, you might think this is a good thing. You know, we're getting more uh, photosynthesizing organisms. That seems to be helping the natural environment. But the thing is, once these organisms start to decay, um, aerobic bacteria 
um, begin to you know break them down. Basically, they start to rot, and in the process, uh, the the process of decomposing them uses up so much oxygen from the water that many fish and other aquatic creatures, and then by extension the birds and other species that are dependent upon those fish, um, are adversely impacted. So basically, if you increase the organic nutrient content of lakes and rivers, you get uh, a population explosion of algae, and then those algae decay, and then the, in the process of decay, uh, so much oxygen is taken out of the water that fish and other things die off in large numbers, and that's a big problem. I should say that nitrate is just a compound that's found in the soil that is a main sort of means by which nitrogen um, is stored in the soil. Nitrogen is a very important nutrient that plants need to grow, and it's one of the main things that's added to plants by um, uh, artificial fertilizers is, is nitrogen, because it's often the limiting factor in plant growth. They need more nitrogen, and not enough of it is in the soil. So, you know, that's why we add nitrogen. That's why we need uh, fertilizers to add nutrients back into the soil that are not in there in sufficient quantities. Trouble is, as I said before, um, we add the fertilizers to the soil, but some of it gets dissolved in the groundwater, which is then carried into nearby lakes and rivers, and we get this problem of eutrophication. Now, organic agriculture does not totally eliminate this problem, um, but virtually all studies show significantly lower uh, levels of uh, leachable nitrates inorganic compared to conventional soils, often several folds. So, organic is much better than conventional in this respect. Now, some studies have shown that uh, that levels of uh, nitrates in drinking water do sometimes exceed uh, regulatory limits. Um, one study showed that 20% of conventional um, systems of water found around conventional uh, farms was above were above the limit compared to about 15, 12-15% of organic systems exceeding the limit. So there's a significant difference there. So it seems that nitrogen, uh, excuse me, it seems that conventional organic farms reduce uh, nitrate runoff mainly through their, first of all, their lower use of nitrogen inputs. They don't use artificial fertilizers, so there's less nitrogen put in the soil in the first place. Also, the use of cover crops and straw-based manure and lower stocking densities, which means uh, lower... Uh, number of cows or sheep or whatever, pigs per land area. Uh, these factors all um, help to um, limit the amount of uh, water that's going to well, leach into the ground and then dissolve the, the, the nitrogen, that's the nitrate that's in there. Um, so that seems to be why organic farms are better in, in the nitrate pollution area than conventional farms. Okay, so so far we've looked at pesticides and nitrate pollution and all organic farms do come off significantly ahead of conventional farms. So now, energy usage. Most studies agree that organic agriculture uses less energy than conventional agriculture. Energy inputs include all things, um, all-inclusive, so that includes the energy needed to produce pesticides and herbicides, energy needed to run the farm machinery, um, etc., However, when you factor in the lower yields of organic agriculture, and I will talk more about yields later on, um, and various other factors um, that come into play, total greenhouse gas emissions per unit of output of organic farms may not be significantly different to conventional farms, and that's very hard to measure, so not all studies show the same thing in that regard. So yeah, organic, as, as sort of implied before, organic agriculture definitely does have a lower energy usage on a per-area basis, but because of lower yields and lower stocking densities, um, when you take that as per output, not necessarily so much difference.
Okay, so the next question is biodiversity. Now, it's argued that organic farms encourage biodiversity. I mean, first of all, they reduce uh, pesticide and nitrate uh, pollution, uh, which are, of course, inimical to biodiversity. You know, they kill animals and disrupt food webs. So that's obviously uh, going to have a positive impact. But it's also argued that by maintaining cover crops and crop rotation, non-application of fertilizers, and uh, higher organic nutrient content in the soils, um, that organic farms tend to attract more... You know, they have a, a high diversity and number of microbes in the soil, of earthworms in the soil, of fungi, of, of other plants and insects living around the farm. And studies have generally borne that up as being true. Organic farms definitely do have more um, nutrient-rich soil uh, because of the factors I just mentioned above, cover crops, crop rotation, uh, not as many fertilizers, etc. And this increase in the... Um, organic content of the soil uh, does seem to be responsible for reducing water leaching and also protecting the, the crops from parasites and diseases, in fact. Which kind of, make, it kind of makes sense in, in one degree. F first of all, if the um, soil is healthier, the plants are going to have more of a reserve of nutrients to, uh, to uh, fight off parasites and diseases that might, come, uh, that, that, that might impact them. Also, if plants, have, if plants are being treated with uh, herbicides and pesticides, that's going to there's going to be less need for them to develop their own natural defense systems. Um, and so when something comes up that the pesticides and herbicides don't help against, then the plants are going to be more vulnerable. So, yeah, it does seem that organic farms are more conducive to biodiversity, both on the farm itself and in the wider, in the wider ecosystem. Okay, and uh, last of all, I want to talk about erosion. Erosion is probably the biggest uh, environmental problem facing agriculture at the moment from, from the research that I've done. A number of studies have shown that organic agriculture, uh, mostly through use of crop rotation and cover crops, cover crops are particularly important because they kind of keep the soil held down and prevent it from being washed away, which is you know what erosion is, removal of soil through uh, water and wind, basically. So studies have shown that Organic agriculture can reduce this by some 30 to 50 percent, which is significant. And as I said before, the main methods through which uh, organic agriculture does this is to have cover crops or undercrops, uh, less dense stocking rates. So, for example, if you have fewer cows per um, hectare, then uh, they're going to be eating up less grass. So you're going to have more grass on the uh, on the paddock, and so there's going to be less um, less tendency for wind and rain to uh, erode the soil. However, there are some organic practices which would tend to increase erosion. For example, um, there are some organic techniques, at least, are tilling, tilling up their land more frequently as a need to keep out uh, to, to, to combat weeds because they don't use pesticides. So that would tend to increase erosion. Um, basically, ero erosion goes up um, uh, the more you turn over the soil and goes down the more plants and other things you have growing on the soil as a basic rule. However, overall, it does seem that organic agriculture does have much lower levels of erosion, as mentioned before. But, once again, uh, not zero levels of erosion. It's not like it totally prevents it. Okay, so what's the overall conclusion? Um, I'll quote here from one of the papers I read. Quote, A review of over 300 published papers found that out of 18 environmental impact indicator areas, organic farming systems perform significantly better in 12 and worse in none. End quote. Uh, another quote, a study carried out went further and calculated that the total external cost to the environment and to human health of organic agriculture was much lower than for conventional agriculture, end quote. 
So it does seem that the claims made by the organic movement about having environmental benefits are valid. The fact that they don't use pesticides um, does result in much lower levels of contamination in the environment, um, although those environmental contamination levels that do occur are not necessarily as bad as they make out, and I will talk more about that later. Nitrate pollution, eutrophication, and other um, related issues are definitely much lower for our organic agriculture, basically because they don't use artificial fertilizers. Energy usage of organic agriculture is probably lower, although the impact of on the CO2 and carbon dioxide emissions, sorry, CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions, uh, is a bit more ambiguous. Uh, biodiversity is definitely um, raised or maintained better by organic systems, and erosion, largely owing to the use of cover crops and a manure, which also helps to keep the, the soil down, um, is definitely much lower in organic systems. So overall, a big tick for organic agriculture in terms of environmental impact. Now, it seems that uh, I did a, quite a bit of research for this podcast, and we've already come to about the end of the time. So I'm going to split this up into two. Uh, next podcast, I'll come back and talk about uh, the remaining two questions. Is organic food of higher quality, and is conventional farming... Um, how do they compare in terms of efficiency? And then I'll offer my con concluding thoughts on the topic. So hopefully you learned something from this podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please help to spread the word by posting a positive review on iTunes um, or by sharing the podcast with a friend or someone else you know. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact me at my email address, fods12, that's F-O-D-S-1-2, at gmail.com. You can also find the show notes for this podcast and leave comments at fods12.podbean.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.